So we call our, our ethos the three R's, remade, and all of the items that are remade are done here at the studio, reduced, and all of that's a focus on waste reduction, local manufacturing, and then recycled. And the three things help to support one another. So the three R's for us, remade, reduced, and recycled. But bearing in mind we started in 2009, kind of a little bit for, let's say, before the whole narrative around sustainability was really being talked about that that much. You know, it's it, it's quite cool now that everything's shifted, I think, and, and I think people have really understood and respected the fact we've been doing this for a long time. I am Susie Menkes, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. With the new urgency about the state of our planet and the baleful part played so often by fashion, you might not be surprised that a careful attitude to clothing is requiring immediate attention, yet still to be adopted by the fashion industry. But not for Christopher Rayburn. Bringing responsible design to mainstream fashion has been the British designer's purpose from the beginning of his career over a decade ago. I visited the Rayburn Lab in East London, flourishing in the building that once housed Burberry. And that's a neat fit because Burberry started by making army clothes and half Rayburn's work is spent remaking abandoned military materials and clothing from across the world. The thoughtful and purposeful current designer found his three Rayburn R's, but not from his name, from his ethos, remade, reduce and recycle. The designer's pioneering work, reworking surplus materials like silk from parachutes to create contemporary clothes, has made functionality and sustainability the height of fashion. Impressively, he has just opened his first store off London's Carnaby Street at number 2 Marshall Street. As the COP26 talks close, let's listen to Christopher Rayburn when he's giving me a tour of his studio and shop where you will hear the sewing machines hard at work. The real thing that's so amazing for me is that, you know, it's such a long time since I've been to see you. I've seen you in various other places, but I haven't actually seen your place where you're making the things and designing the things. So just take me through here. Imagine that I've come for the first time. That Imagine that I've never seen that little place that you had that looked out on the... Um, on, onto the canal, yes, over in, over in Bow. Yeah. Uh, so that would have already been six or seven years ago since you came to our now old studio, and even that was our third studio that, we, that we'd had. The business now has been going for, for just over 12 years. And five years ago, we moved into this space. And you are standing in the old Burberry textile building in Hackney, Hackney Central, in fact. So a building with real um, history. And at points, uh, the factory here was making thousands of pieces a year for, for Burberry. And we moved in and there was nothing in here at all. So no light, no heat, no anything 
And we've been busy over the last five years really turning this space into hopefully quite a unique creative space, but it's where we have our archive, it's where we have a maker space, it's where we bring together craft, creativity and community. So what is the central point for you? Um, after all, you're the boss. <laughs> but even more important, you're the person who's had all the ideas and the feelings about how you wanted your place to be. So where I'm standing now, it looks like a place where the clothes are presented and they're all around us, but they're not actually active at the, this moment, as far as I can see. But tell me, am I yeah, wrong? Yeah, ab absolutely. Well, the first thing to say is actually it's all about teamwork with Rayburn anyway, rather than just me as the individual. But what makes us very unique as a company is we have part of the collection called Remade in England. And you'll know that from uh, your amazing um, following, basically, and your support that you've had for us over the years. Because what that means is taking original items, and it's everything from beautiful uh, silk maps and parachutes and blankets and all of this incredible um, uh, sort of artefacts that already exist and making them into new things. And what we're really proud about is all of those new things are made right here at the Rayburn Lab. So I'm going to show you a few examples of items like these beautiful menswear bomber jackets. And Carl, if you can give me a hand and grab one of the, the original air brakes you'll see in the window here. But these originally, rather than being the, the sort of parachute that you jump from an aeroplane, they pop out the back of fast jets to slow them down. So something incredibly functional, really well made but essentially that quickly becomes redundant because they either have a shelf life or if they've been used sometimes, bam, they can't be used again. So this is, yeah, as I say, what, almost like archaeology for us, going out and finding all of this really cool stuff. So what is this actually <laughs> made of? So this is nylon, and it would have been made about 20, 30 years ago. Very, very high quality, made in the UK as well. There's a, a fantastic company called GQ Irving, and they still make all of these amazing parachutes right here. And then the thing for us that, that really um, I find so fascinating, as I mentioned, everything has a shelf life. Normally after 10 years, whether it's been used or not, they have to then bring in something new and, and unfortunately get rid of all of these things. So our mission is to basically take all of this stuff that has become redundant and make it useful again. Um, so what is it actually physically made of? This is a, a nylon material. Yeah, on this one, believe it or not. So, yeah, hard wearing. And obviously, the, the really great thing is that we're able to take the material, we can buy it, we can wash it, we mm. can make it really, really useful. So you turn it into this by those things you just said to me. Exactly. It, it's dyed in colour, obviously. Yes. But also, it's, the pieces are used, I don't really understand it, they're no overlays or... Yeah, with that one, I'm just going to um, grab one other example. If I show you the original... Air brake parachute. It looks like this. We're able to take one of these, which in this instance was made in August 1988. Mm -hmm. So the stamp and everything there. We're able to take one of those and completely then remake it into a beautiful dress, mm. which we can see here. And then with essentially very, very little waste at all. So it's really a case of bringing one of these <laughs> for the photo into then one dress that looks like this or into an anorak or a t-shirt and things as well and we do everything we can of course to reduce our impact on on the planet and what we're so proud of is all of the remade items are made right here at at the rayburn lab 
So we have incredible seamstresses like Victoria, who's in, and Zori, and Randolph, who's our head of design. Hello. Amy Hi. in supporting as well. And again, what's really unique about this is it's all done right here. And Carl as well, working on production. <laughs> so as we continue the tour, I know that you know these ones very well. But one of the things that we are, let's say, quite famous for, which we started working with about eight years ago now, are these beautiful original silk maps. And yes. they were made for pilots in the 1950s. And so rather than printing onto paper that could perish if it gets wet, they used to print onto silk. And so you get these beautiful examples here. <laughs> and when did that come to its end, its useful end? Well, these ones they started replacing already from the 1960s. So they stopped using the silk and then they replaced already. So essentially for over 50, 60 years, these haven't been in use at all. Where did you find them? So, top secret, Susie, with those. We've been working with them now for, for yeah, eight years. And originally I, I sourced about 800 here in, in, um, in the United Kingdom. But occasionally we were able to buy bigger volumes. And the last lot that I bought was actually in Germany. And I think when they close military bases, sometimes they find, of course, warehouses full of stuff. And so it's, it's not an exact science. It's not about going to a, a fabric fair in, in Paris and being able to buy whatever you want. But and so is each one unique? Because it's Exactly that. Yeah, yeah. And so we always try to make sure each piece is, um, yeah, a little piece of history. And quite often we have clients that actually will want their own... Um, geographical area on a certain part of the dress, for example, mm -hmm. which of course we're able to do because of the way that they're set mm -hmm. up. Where yeah. is Namsos? Namsos is in Western Russia. And what's quite interesting about lots of the dresses, often the names have actually been updated. So you've got Archangel, which of course now doesn't exist anymore, it's been renamed. <coughs> and Namsos, yet was in Western Russia going through into Norway. So they all tend to be um, Scandinavia going into mm -hmm. the western parts of Russia as well. Lovely. It feels like silk. It is, pure silk. So then from the 1960s they started using rayon that you wouldn't want to make into a beautiful dress. Mm. But of course the silk is yeah. absolutely perfect. And what's so fantastic is you can wash it normally in a normal washing machine as well. So yeah, it's something again that has such beauty but then the functionality as well. So that is what we're all about. And if we wander this way, we can speak to you Randolph and Tim. Hello. So we're looking at a remade concept now for Timberland. Mm -hmm. Using this. So quite literally making something out of this parachute, which will resemble along the lines of this. So yeah. this is the parachute. It's huge. Enormous, mm -hmm. yeah. So lots of flavour. So we think of this as our raw material. Mm -hmm. So rather than having fabric on a roll, this is what we work to, and then celebrate all of the original detailing and the tape detailing. So it's really exciting, a challenge, but really exciting. And that's what we look to, sorry for. It's Just tell me a little bit about doing it. So somebody produces it, it arrives, you spread, spread it out on the table, maybe that's your first move. Mm -hmm. But how do you decide from, from that what you're going to make out of it? Um, we have, of course, the sketch, we have the sketch. It's a good question. It's, it will start with an overarching concept from Chris. So mm -hmm. we'll say, right, we want to do an outerwear piece. We don't know what the outerwear piece might be. Let's say a field jacket or mm -hmm. one of the icons. What can we do to manipulate that pattern to work with the fabric to then celebrate it in the best possible way? So there's never really a definitive rule to it. It's, yeah. it's a development process, but quite, mm -hmm. again, quite an exciting development process. 
And then that will then trickle down into the mainline collection. And then the other thing to say is quite often, obviously, the original item that we're working with, and yes, we use lots of parachutes, but we use loads of other things. Quite often, mm. that helps to dictate the design process. Mm -hmm. So if we're working with something that's, that's waterproof and breathable, then it lends itself to being an outerwear piece, but then, of course, not a, not a base layer, for example. Um, so, yeah, I think it's always a key... To, to look at the kind of core, the most beautiful details and how we can bring them mm -hmm. into the most relevant garment that we'll be making, or indeed accessory. What is that orange thing up there? That is an orange overdyed air brake. So the one that you saw that we made into the dress um, in yellow and in black, we overdyed also into orange. Um, yeah, and in fact, we did a lot of outerwear pieces in, in that. We find actually orange really resonates with our, with our customers, actually. So I noticed. Exactly that. <laughs> Fantastic. And I think you know a little bit about the animal mascots as well. Yes. You'll see all of those guys up there. So Zori, in fact, has now, over the 11 years, over 20 uh, different mascots in, in total. And in all seriousness, we find with these, they're a really good, um, really good vehicle for the company to explain what we're all about because they're all made using the remade materials so offcuts and then we do workshops where we teach people how to make them and the proceeds go to the worldwide fund for nature mm -hmm. so again it's all about that kind of creativity and, and craft and community the worldwide fund for nature and they are a completely global company and their whole focus is around preserving particularly endangered animals um, so they do a lot around preservation within uh, rainforest, but also all the way through to the mm -hmm. um, the Arctic, of course, with polar bears and things. These people come, organisations come to you um, because they realise that you were very sensitive um, mm. to the idea of remake and such and other things. Yeah, or did you find them? It's a great question. We, in fact, with the Worldwide Fund for Nature, we went to them because of the, the link, because we'd already been doing these the animal mascots and we saw let's say, the natural alignment, and we also wanted to do what we could as a company to help support their efforts. When we think about partnerships and collaborations in general, so some of the more, um, let's say, commercial projects that we've worked on, it might be with Timberland or Montclair or Clark's Footwear, we've been really fortunate that those companies have come to us because of the way that we work and because of the focus that we have, I think, uh, around design and our ethos as well. I don't think you're fortunate. I think you totally deserved it and it's Aww. a relief to think that they had the good sense to come and back you up. Well it all comes down to having an amazing team that are obviously really really patient and, and understand actually a different way of designing because what we do here isn't it isn't easy and it doesn't always work as well that's the other thing it's not a kind of linear process where you know okay if you choose fabric A and fabric B and you design C then Great, you know exactly what's going to come out the other, uh, other Tell end. Tell me a bit more about these little people. <laughs> Absolutely. So the animal mascots, in fact, started with um, a university project, and the brief was to show your favourite, I think, 50 fabrics in an interesting or innovative way. And as a slightly different thinking university student, I made mine at the time into fabric monkeys. Uh, I know this is a shark in, in my hand now, but then when I started Rayburn, I thought it was a really interesting um, kind of concept and we developed the idea, first starting with kind of curious British animals, but then we expanded and then, yeah, over the years now, they've really become a big part of what we do. And I think We're talking that, about, what, 15 years? Close to now, yeah. We've been going now for 12 years and the first remade 
um, animal mascots. I was, did, was all the way back at the university, first at Middlesex and then Royal College of Art. And that now is over 20 years ago, which is very <laughs> scary to say. So, But yeah, they're, they're really good fun and, and just a, a great kind of engaging way for... <laughs> For people to understand a bit more about responsible design and what we do. Ah, your favourite? <laughs> it's. Uh, yeah, it's these are all ones that I sewed actually to begin with, ones yeah. like this and this, before I handed over to a real professional. <laughs> <laughs> so, shouldn't you give it a hug, this one in the middle? This okay. would be your first. Okay. <laughs> We've got an understanding. Fantastic. If we wander back this way. Just you... before you do that, I want to ask you a deep, penetrating question. <laughs> Okay. What are you wearing now? Right now, I am wearing our parasuit collection. So we have a part of the collection which has been really now very popular, which is, of course, made from parachutes. And, of course, I like the wordplay with parachutes. And so this is all original parachutes made into a really lightweight, quite smart little suit. And what's so good about it is... It's really lightweight, it's really breathable. You can put it in your bag, it crunches, but then immediately you, all of the crumples fall away. So it's pretty, um, pretty amazing stuff, actually, and all made here as well. And how long was its previous life, the concept of it? Yes, yeah, so these parachutes basically are already 40 years old. They'd have been in use for about 10 years, and then they stopped using them, they went into storage, and we take them, we over-dye them, and then we remake them into what I'm wearing now. Good, I asked the right question. You really did. And look at your shoes. Timberland, of course. I'm going to show you ah. one quick thing from Timberland. Um, before I do that, I'm just going to show you a few pieces. This is our ah. archive. Mm. And this is the first remade jacket I ever did. So all the way back in 2001. And this has been remade from original 1950s battle dress jackets. And I don't think you'd have seen this in the old studio. So, wait a minute, that's 20 years? About 20 years old? 20 years. So I did this in 2001 mm -hmm. when I was at university. And it was made using these beautiful jackets that look mm. like this. And at the time, I was going to Portobello Road, finding jackets that, if you look at the stamp here, it says 1955. Mm -hmm. No trick questions. Guess how much these cost? I was buying them in bales of 25, wrapped in hessian and waxproof paper. They'd never been worn. Five pounds each. Final guess? Um, <laughs> less or more? A little bit less. Um, 50p? Oh, gone too cheap. So they're one pound each. So that is it amazing. fascinated me that when I was studying... Wow, okay, if I wanted to buy this wool on a roll, it was either so expensive or really rare because it was 70 years old, mm -hmm. 60 years at, uh, at the time. And yet there were these jackets that had so much detail, mm. so many sort of intrinsic, beautiful, functional points. So how many of them did you get hold of? Hundreds, mm. hundreds and hundreds. And over the years, we've used thousands of things that already exist, probably tens of thousands already. And then what fascinates me is, of course, there are billions of things out there, which unfortunately we as people overproduce. And our job is almost to go and find these things, the archaeology, getting out there. But importantly, things that have, um, have something special to them, that's the really key, key thing with this. And, um, and give them a new life once we've gone through the remade process. So, in short, I'm going to show you 
essentially the next 10 years because when I was studying at the Royal College of Arts, I was doing some quite experimental pieces, mm, wow. crazy pattern cutting and good fun. And I studied women's wear. Everyone thinks I'm a menswear designer. I did my master's at the Royal College of Art in women's wear. And then from there, on graduating, I made this within... This would have been around the time that you and I met for the very first time because, of course, you used to come, and I remember so clearly the early presentations, and you used to come, even when we had a tiny space at London Fashion Week, a stand, a static stand, and you were always so incredibly curious and so demanding to know where, where everything came from. So it would have been round about this time. So this was 2010, and you'll see it's quite a natural evolution from the piece that I did in 2001, so at, at university, then on to the Royal College of Art. And then when this piece happened, it was featured with our friend Tony Goodman in mm. US Vogue. Wow, all of a sudden we have people all around the world saying, I want to buy that coat. And going to Barney's in, in New York and um, stores in Japan at the time. And it's amazing, way before Instagram, of course, this, this was one of the, be uh, the best things for, for our business. Okay, very good. So but then, of course, to flip that round... Yes, the, that looks a little... The, the, the parachute lighter. piece is, of course, the hanger weighs more than the piece itself. So these are all the really early parachute garments that I made. And really importantly, this is how I started the first collection at, at London Fashion Week. We took one military parachute, made it into eight garments. Exactly this is, this is one of them. And everything's grown from there. So step by step. And it's why now things like our... Logo that you see on the garments, of course, everything comes back to parachutes. You'll see here, and it's all, yeah, about everything tying together. When were you sort of really noticed? When did that first come? Um, well, I think we were... I think because of the clarity of the way that we communicated, we got a lot of press attention very early on. Mm -hmm. And the early collections, we always photographed on a light box, and they were the beautiful kind of parachute pieces. And so really it's from... It was quite early on from 2010... And then winning things like the British Fashion Award and mm. things around that time definitely helped. And Did Prince Charles actively, um, not help you, but was he actively interested? I remember him being at some event. Absolutely, yeah. We've had a lot of, we've had a lot of support from, yeah, an incredible range of people that are always interested in, I guess, the way that we work as a company. But then also I'd like to think about the fact that we may be a part of a future systems change for the industry so we call our, our ethos the three r's remade and all of the items that are remade are done here at the studio reduced and all of that's a focus on waste reduction local manufacturing and then recycled and the three things help to support one another so the three r's for us remade reduced and recycled but bearing in mind we started in 2009 kind of a little bit for let's say before the whole narrative around sustainability was really being Talks about that that much, you know. It's it, it's quite cool now that everything shifted. I think, and and I think people have really understood and respected the fact we've been doing this for a long time, and we've been looking for those different systems. So we um, the the space itself. We're obviously very quiet for the podcast at the moment. But we are open to the public within this space four days a week. So Thursday through to Sunday, we actually open up. And the best way to describe it, I always think it's like a, a good restaurant where actually you can see the chefs 
cooking your food or you can sit down and, and, and eat the food. And that's really the way that we look at the um, studio environment. And so much of the work that we do around sort of uh, education and inspiration, it's about actually showing people for, for real. And so we like to bring people into the space and we do tours and we do, um, of course, archive experiences. But then importantly, it's a shop. People can buy yes. things, and, and that's what it's all about. And they're, they're at the same shop prices that if somebody else in, these people in New York who... Absolutely, or Selfridges or any of yes, the, the partners exactly. that, that we work with. Of course, it's the same product. Yeah. And then we're really proud that we've opened a new store, which is really like an outpost yes. for us, and that's on Marshall Street, just yes. off Carnaby Street in, in central London. So that is a big step. So this is your first shop in central London, yes? It will be um, our first permanent shop in, in central London, yes. So we've opened now a store on number two Marshall Street and it is an extension. It's an outpost of everything we have here in Hackney and a really curated, let's say, energy store of the best of Rayburn, right in the heart of Soho. I'm going to show you one more thing. They look nice. We've got sketchbooks and notebooks as well. Now, here's a question for you, Susie. What do you think about these? Because they arrived on our shop floor genuinely only yesterday. Oh, gosh. So these are Polish military blankets. Military, right. believe it or not, despite the colours. And you'll see each one... What does refund mean? We have is different. And that, that then was going to be the segue to me explaining a little bit about part of the collection that we've introduced so having talked to you all about the three r's ray found so ray found by christopher rayburn it's a new part of the collection and it's all basically using existing generally military pieces and the best way to describe it is what could be more radical than making nothing at all so rather than us going out and making an amazing beautiful blanket what we've actually done is sourced one which is about 50 years old it's brand new, it's never been worn, and that is a product that will now be retailing. And so we're calling it Rayfound by Christopher Rayburn. So they're all pieces I source myself. And feel the quality. Yes, it feels wonderful. As we go into the winter months, right? Why are there so many pieces across the world that have never been used, that have been made and not been used? My understanding is they have to overproduce with so much of this, this product, of course, because they can't have too little. And the net result of that is most things don't get used, or a lot of things don't get used. You're talking particularly there of things that um, are attached to the people who are... Generally, sort of military or anything on a government sort of organisation or yes, a scale okay. level. Gotcha. I mean, it will be the same with me medical institutions yes, and sure. all of these things as well. We tend to work a lot with, with sort of functional and utility items just because of the quality the longevity of the item mm. and the, 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 the quality so originally. This is amazing, this bright orange colour. So um, I, I can't believe that it, you just found it like that. Yeah, and so they're original Polish um, blankets. They're, they've been sold to me as, as military in their origin, but incredibly each one is different. So we have a beautiful kind of orange checkerboard one here, but we've got pink and we've got blue and we've got red and all of these other shades that you can see here. And they all came in the same batch. And then what we've done, of course, is check that the quality is there, that they're brand new. We make sure they're dry cleaned and they're absolutely perfect for our, for our customers. But they're amazing things and they already existed. Mm. That's the scary thing. Rather than us going out and manufacturing loads of new blankets, let's actually see what's already out there and whether we can reuse and, and, and rework that. So these were 1960s, 70s. Can, can I just ask, 
just ask you a question there? You know, us simple people, if we try and if we've got something in wool mm. and we try to keep it for two years, the moths get at it and it gets snagged at and all the rest of it. Yeah. How is it possible that you find this what looks perfect or is it not perfect? Do you have to do a lot of work on it? No, we... Uh, uh, to answer the question, and these ones are perfect... Mm. Of the batch that we that we received, probably about twenty percent, we had to um, essentially not not use for for retail because either they did have holes or they had repairs or those sorts of things that we didn't deem uh, right for retail. But um, in terms of the storage, it's one thing I think kind of the military are very good at doing. So often it will be vacuum packed and incredibly well sealed, and it's never been opened. Mm. Most of what we get is still in original bags. And if it's from the 60s, there will, of course, be natural hessian waxproof papers, all of those. And now, of course, it's synthetics, vacuum packs, and they've never been opened. And your view is that the world is still, even after you finding all these pieces, is still filled and filled with things that have never been used but have been stored away. It's unbelievable. I'm often asked, are we not worried with our business? We're going to run out of parachutes, as an example. There are tens of thousands just here in the UK. And then when you think globally, there are millions, maybe even billions, and certainly of products that already are out there. And yet we're still producing all this more stuff every year. And so, yeah, we, we want to be part of that future solution of, of making sure part of what we can do is use what already exists before we make something new. And have you been... Um has anybody said to you how good it is that you're doing this and that they themselves felt that the waste that there was all around them was something rather shocking, but nobody did anything about it and you have come along and made it possible to do something about it and um, to be useful? Has anyone ever approached you and said that? That's very... Um, the reason maybe I, I, I laughed, it's very, it's very humbling, it, you know, to, to, to hear that. And I suppose... People have said that because they're, they're saying it every time they go into our stores and they support our products and the way that we, that we work. And for that, we're incredibly grateful. I think if we just speak about COVID for, for a minute, 18 months ago, I think when we were all locked up at home, we all kind of woke up to the fact that we've all got a bit too much stuff around us. And I think that has been a real trigger for a lot of people to then really consider their next purchase and, and particularly, obviously, within, within clothing. And so I'd like to think, as I say, we're, we're a part of the solution. We're by no means perfect. But I think through a combination of, of remaking, of finding what's already out there, of making sure any new products that we're making are done in the right way, offering free repairs, you put all of these things together, then, wow, you know, it's, it's a lot more positive than just making something brand new in a, in, in a pretty detrimental way to the planet. Um, I noticed that you slightly dodged my question about Prince Charles. Um, was that deliberate or is there something you would like to say about him? Oh, no, I certainly wasn't, um, I wasn't dodging anything. Uh, in, honestly, myself and Prince Charles haven't had any direct um, sort of interaction, so it wasn't a, a dodge by any means. But I think what is very clear is that Prince Charles, and when I think about particularly the initiatives around wool, they're, they're real champions for, for positive change in the industry. And I think within Rayburn, we've, we've been able to work with some of the platforms that we've, been, that we've been kind of awarded, basically. So whether that be through the British Fashion Council or some of the trips to, to Paris or Pitti or these sorts of things. Sometimes, 
linking all of this together, actually then being supported, of course, by the royal family, whether that be with, with speeches or some of the amazing events that they've hosted over the years, all of this, it counts, right, together. I want to show you two more things up here. The first one, and we're going to have a bit of fun, I'd like you to put on one of these, which hopefully you were not expecting to be doing today. Well, this is very useful. Yeah. I'm not sure I can <laughs> drive my car in it. Can you tell me what they might be? So to, to describe for the, um, for the audience, Susie very kindly has put on a, a big pair of gloves, kind of mittens, and they've got a quilted liner that can come out, and they've got an area that's uh, nice and fluffy on the reverse. And they're camouflage. Can you guess what they might be for? I can only think they'd for? be useful if I was going to the um, coldest place on the planet. Wow. So you've nailed it in one. We didn't rehearse this before. These are extreme cold weather mittens. And originally they were made for US military. So we haven't done anything to these. They're part of our, our archive. And they were made in the 1970s. And again, they've never been worn. And I just wanted to show you an example of how we can take something... Quite amazing like mm. this, in my opinion. I found them on a, on a sourcing trip to the um, US, and then we can start to think about how creativity can then lead to scale and, and in a positive way. So we were able to remake ah. a pair of those gloves, an exact pair, into a beautiful boot that looks like this with a yes. detachable quilted liner. So you wear a boot inside a boot? On this one, yeah. So it's kind of the, the concept um, to begin with. A little bit directional, mm -hmm. should we say. And then, this is all with our friends of Timberland, we took a next step and we evolved the idea and it started to look a little bit more like the iconic yellow boots, I think, that you know from, from Timberland, but still remade. So this is an actual Timberland it's an actual shoe or boot or whatever you exactly like to call it. Exactly, so it's, it's made in the Timberland factory with incredible uh, craftsmen and women and it's been remade from these original gloves. So you'll see the, the camouflage here and the quilt and the leather. Wearing instructions, extreme cold weather. <laughs> exactly that. So that all comes from the instructions on the inside of the, of the quilt that you can see here. And it teaches people how to, um, how to wear the gloves properly and effectively. So anyway, from there, we then took this beautiful, almost like an art piece, which had been made in the atelier, and we took one more step and it became a commercial product for Timberland, which became one of the best sellers. And then, of course, the materials that you see here are all what done. What interests me is that it's very much lighter exactly, um, yeah. for the finished product. And how, how is that achieved? That's done through a combination of, um, it's a, uh, a beautiful kind of natural rubber sole that you see here. It's a recycled um, material here, and then it's a um, gold star uh, tannery leather as well. And it's basically about trying to Keep it as lightweight as you can, and that one being the original item, it tended to be a little bit heavier anyway. It's also a bit, bit bigger. And then this one, we've kind of really finessed it and made it into, yeah, a kind of very refined product that then tens of thousands of pieces were made. It became one of the best sellers. Mm. So it's a really good example how you can take the remade concept and what we do here at the Rayburn Lab, and you can develop it and you can work with a truly global brand to have something, I would say, pretty, um, pretty special that comes out the other side. Yes, it's, I mean, it's amazing. It's deep, and yet the result is very light and appealing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think the, the sort of playfulness is really important. 
as well and, and trying to have a bit of fun in all of this because you know, when you when you run a business and you know it, it's very hard work actually and I think making sure you're you're keeping yeah that sense of humor through things is, mm -hmm. is really key not always easy but key and also I think that people actually need things like shoes that keep them warm in winter yeah yeah practical and, and everything else I just okay. want to show you a few bits over here which I appreciate might be a little bit different to some of the um, high fashion houses that you've seen before. But having learned a little bit about Rayfell, mm -hmm. so through the blankets, the items that you see here, so it's a beautiful seam seal, functional waterproof jacket. Mm -hmm. This is another example of Rayfell, which I thought you might find interesting. So everything you see here, including these beautiful fleeces and trousers, is an example of Ray found at scale because this camouflage the US military stopped using in April 2021. So around five, six months ago, all of a sudden none of the servicemen or women anywhere around the world could wear this camouflage. It was completely discontinued. And so all of a sudden you've got millions of pieces again that can't be used. Do you, are you now linked up enough for people to contact you or do you go around or have people who go around and see um, what's going on? I, I wish we did have a, 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 a sort of team globally but a lot of the sourcing still comes back to me personally but it's the thing I'm so passionate about. I, I absolutely love going out and finding curious things and then because I've been doing this now for a relatively long time, you know, 15, 20 years, you, you kind of Rolodex through all of this amazing stuff that you've seen previously or you pick out the new things um, and to answer the, answer the question, though, we deal with everything from sort of Ministry of Defence level, where sometimes we're buying you know, significant volumes of, of product, down to individual sellers. And because of what we do, we do have people saying, oh, I found this amazing, whatever it might but be. tell us about this, only eight months ago, I think you said six months ago. Exactly, yes, so April 21. So what happened? Did somebody call you and say there was all this stuff? Did, how did you find no, out? No, this was me doing my, my research, actually, and, and um, I really liked the, the camouflage pattern. It's actually it's called a um, digital tiger stripe pattern. And I was researching around what was happening uh, around camouflage. It's one of the things that I'm, I'm always quite passionate about. And so I started to see and, and hear that actually the, the pattern was going to be changed. And so I put two and two together and started going up and sourcing these things. And what will happen, I can guarantee in the next year, maybe two to five years, lots of this product will come through to people like me because mm -hmm. no one quite knows what to do with it. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a really good example of, um, yeah, hopefully thinking a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. that, that we always need to be producing new because I guarantee... There are many, many, many billions of things out there. And so often my good friend Ursula de Castro, mm -hmm. who I'm sure you'll know, amazing to quote her to say, there should be no such word as waste. It's just resource in the wrong place. And I think it's such a wonderfully kind of poignant way to, to talk about all of this stuff. And I think it's really important we all try and find different ways of finding that stuff and, and, and giving it a new life. It's Boom. fascinating. It's really fascinating. What has been very rewarding when I think back now on 12 years of, of business is A, we're still here because so many others have, have been and gone in that time. Yeah. And B, actually, the, it was January 2019 was our 10th anniversary. Mm. 
And I feel really grateful that I started the company when I was relatively young. And so really at the 10th anniversary, I kind of brushed myself down and thought, you know what, I, I think we're in quite good position here. In the last two years now, obviously in the, in the most um, challenging times with, with COVID and everything else, we've really, really used that obligation of, of time that we had kind of strangely, um, certainly 18 months ago, and then really sort of uh, focus a lot on a complete over, overhaul of our all of the, the kind of important stuff that you should probably do early on. So things like your tax, uh, tech stack in on your um, e-com and making sure all of that's linked up and things like 3PLs, so third-party logistics and your accountancy and all of that stuff. I don't really teach you when you're at the Royal College. All of that's happened along with now opening the retail store, along with a massive improvement in the product, the quality, the fit, the pricing. And so it really makes me think that we're in a great position as we now look to the next kind of five years. And yeah, I think we've got a chance. I haven't shown you things like this, which it basically took us 10 years to make a beautiful white T-shirt, mm. which is, I think, I think you'd agree, the quality and everything else about it, yeah. I think to really, well, the first five years, all we did was remade outerwear, jackets and coats. And at the time, you know, if I'm being honest, if I look back on it, it was quite conceptual. The fit wasn't brilliant. The price was very high. The next five years, we then, let's say, focus a little bit more on the commerciality. We bought in more jersey product accessories. And those last two years have really been, okay, I think we're, we're old enough to know what we're really doing and, and getting that much more focus. So that's been the kind of trajectory as a, as a brand. myself how much do people pay attention to the fact that something is um you know that something has had a history that's what i'm trying to say i mean i, I know you give out a lot of information but do you think if you're in selfridges and you're looking at things do you get it do you understand as yeah, a think, customer a I, consumer it, yeah i think it's a it's a really good point we we do work really hard to make sure all of the origins of the materials are explained on the internals of the garment. But the truth is, it's really difficult. And particularly when you start working with um, with department stores or external retailers to your own, they have incredible staff, but they also have to look after lots of other brands. Of yeah. So it's very difficult to get everything communicated. But we try and do things as, as, as sort of easily as we can. Mm -hmm. Things like QR codes where you can mm -hmm. easily link through learn about the, the um, origins of the material. But the biggest thing for us is if we can explain face-to-face -face ourselves about, obviously, the products. And it's exactly why we're opening our own stores. And it's exactly why we're doing as much as we can, really, to bring people into our own spaces and, and explain what we're doing as a company. Are you now known by the um, companies that have these clothes which were particularly for working and performing I mean, are you in touch with them or do you just find them? Um, no, we, we definitely are kind of known and, and certainly in touch. And we have um, a few of the suppliers that when they get really rare or curious items, they'll actually let us know the power of WhatsApp. These days I'll get amazing WhatsApps of something I've never seen before. And it might then actually help to inspire a new collection or certainly to be, to be part of the archive here. So we, have, we actually have a lot of pieces that are really quite rare. We have one-off production samples and all of these, these pieces, as I mentioned earlier, it, it helps to form 
our library, our creative library. And um, it's, it's just a, a, a passion. I feel so fortunate that now I started kind of collecting things probably when I was about 15, 16, somewhere around about there. So now approaching 25 years on to have, have sort of obviously made that hobby into a career that, that actually is fostering, continuing to inspire itself. That's, that's quite quite cool. I still feel like we're, we're just getting going. We're trying to, um, yeah, continue to get ourselves organised and take the next steps. Um, can I ask you something else which you might not want to answer? Mm. Were you approached by the people doing this um, Save the Planet? Through, through COP26? Yes. Yes, so um, through COP26 we, we, we've had various um, sort of approaches about how we could be involved in, in different ways. And I, I made the decision on behalf of the business that actually I, I wouldn't travel. To, to Glasgow because um, I felt that actually for us as a business everything we do is about trying to reduce our impact and so rather than being amongst and, uh, and potentially on top of what we know as 25,000 delegates and other individuals that were, that were traveling we actually said no as a result we'll, we'll take a step back we'll stay here and we'll carry on doing good and that's the way that we're we're looking at things. I think it's really important, though, to acknowledge COP26. It's very, very important. And I really hope that the right decisions are, are made and being made. But I still feel that within the fashion industry, we haven't had that moment that really is waking people up. I think that, to talk about some other examples, when you think about David Attenborough on Blue Planet 2, looking down the lens and for the first time saying, it's up to you, the viewer, to make the difference... Wow, you know, it really, I think, woke people up. But we haven't quite had that in fashion. I'm not quite sure what it will be. But we we definitely need something that's going to shape people and really, yeah, uh, just make sure the zeitgeist is that much more concentrated, I think, because we're not quite there yet. Do you think the basic problem with fashion is that it's built on non-sustainability? It's built on having something and chucking it and buying something else. How can you change that whole philosophy of so many hundreds of years in so many countries? Well, I don't think it is hundreds of years. It's probably 30, 40 years that things have really changed and accelerated in a very detrimental way for, for consumerism and, of course, for the environment. And I think if we then take a step back beyond those sort of 40 years and we start to think, well, 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, we, we had a very, very different attitude, not just to clothing, but to everything. It was about making things properly. It was making things that could be repaired, keeping things in circulation. And my hope is that we can return to that, you know, making things. We don't, we don't talk about longevity enough, I don't think, within, within the fashion industry, but making things properly to begin with, offering free repairs for life on a garment, keeping that thing in circulation. Wow. It just makes perfect sense, right? Naturally, I think it's about going back to not even the old-fashioned way of doing things, if you excuse the pun. It's still in everyone's kind of memories and lifetimes that, you know, when we look at certainly my parents' generation, they didn't have this over-consumerism and an attitude to clothing that, that the younger generations have grown up with. So how do we change that and how do we get people more focused? That's our mission within Rayburn.
uniforms, I suppose we'll say, which uniforms are so half forgotten and yet still in, in immensely much worn. Mm. And um, I don't know, do you think that there will be a time when they, that changes? Um, in, in short, not in the immediate future. I mean, we're, we're going to need utility and functional clothing for, for a period of time. And I suppose actually one of the things that sort of excites me is where are we going to be in the next 20, 30, 40 years from now? I spoke about what's happened in the last 40 years, but when we start to think about functional clothing that we'll need potentially off-planet, so away from Earth, thinking first, of course, back to the Moon, Mars, all of those sorts of things. Wow, you know, how can we actually potentially be manufacturing or thinking about clothing in a way that's really going to learn from what we've done pretty detrimentally here on Earth and make sure we don't make those same mistakes again? And we're going to need amazing kit to do that. Have you clothes in your mind or in reality which really could go to another planet? Well, what, what's so fantastic is that often it comes back to natural materials. You know that, that spacemen and women still use merino base layers and all of this. It, it fascinates me that I think nature's guiding the way on a, a lot of this stuff, right? So, um, in truth, no, we don't have the next Mars spacesuit, but I think we can learn a lot from nature and make sure we're doing things in the right way. You've been very enthusiastic in um, following Florence and the Petit Imagini trade fair, and it's been something that perhaps made you seem more for the wider world. Has it been very helpful to you, and are you planning to go back? Yeah, absolutely. Pity has been... It, it's been an incredible platform for us as a, as a company, and pre-COVID, it really was the place where globally everybody always met at least once a season certainly within of course within menswear and so of course the last couple of years we haven't been able to do that now and we see it as a really um key key accelerator actually for our for our business we can't wait to be back in pity because it really is the the, the kickoff for us in terms of showing of course the new season and then actually kind of galvanising often sales that then are followed up on. They might be done here in London or indeed in Paris. But initially, the, the first um, conversations often happen in pity. Yeah, it's, it, it's an amazing place where anything can happen. So we really, really believe in it. What I will say as well, actually, is that the, the hall that we're in, which you might remember is called I Go Out, it's a really interesting um, spot now where so many people are, are that much more focused on getting outside, into nature, the crossover between functional clothing, having products that really work. So it's really worked for us as a company as well to, to be in that hall and, and around so many other like-minded companies as well. You know, I met an amazing Icelandic photographer. This is a short story. His name's Ragnar Axelsson, right? And Ragnar, I first ever saw his work in a tiny gallery in, in Chelsea and he put together these beautiful black and white images essentially over... 30, 40 years, and he'd been documenting a disappearing world in the Arctic, and the exhibition was called The Last Days of the Arctic. Mm -hmm. And I went there, and it blew me away how powerful these, these small images were. And Ragnar, we recently did some work together, and um, I, I did an interview with him where his philosophy on, 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 on life, I guess, and, and even growing a business and creativity, and his best way of putting it is 
you know, sometimes when I'm out there and I'm out there with my dogs, my sleigh dogs, if one's barking in the wind or the storm, of course I can't hear them. But when they all start barking, I hear them. And I think that's what is so important with all of these things, actually to have so many small things that then all add up to the big thing, right? And that's that's what I hope we've we've been doing with Rayburn and all of the amazing support that we've had from yourself, but so many others as well. It does feel like it's going incrementally the right way. And, and as I touched on earlier, when I've seen much bigger companies than us boom and bust and come and go and everything else, I feel like we're strategically and steadily growing. And we've got pretty big plans for what happens next, so... Thank you. Um, one thing you haven't talked about is your brother. Graham Rayburn as well was uh, something of a pathfinder for me. Three years older, also went to the Royal College of Art. And um, on leaving, whilst I set up the, the studio and um, the sort of embryonic beginnings of, of Christopher Rayburn at the time, it then became Rayburn, uh, Graham went on to be the lead designer at Rafa Cycles, so real focus on, uh, of course, cycle wear. And then... Uh, about two and a half, three years ago, he then came back and we've worked together for about a year, year and a half here within Rayburn. Worked a lot, particularly on the recycle, technical um, side of the, the company. And then about a year ago, actually then left and has now gone back to a cycleware company called Albion because that's really his passion. But of course, we get on incredibly well. And it's really, it's been really interesting learning, particularly on the, on the technical and the functional side from, from Graham. Whilst, let's say, I've been pushing more on the remade and the, the conceptual side with, with the work that I do as well. So, yeah, he is one of the best. So, next up for us, uh, from, a, from a trade perspective, will be Autumn 22, which we're really excited about. And then, having just opened the store on Marshall Street, we're looking about the next steps of, of what happens next and how we can further expand as well. So, we've got pretty, pretty big plans in, in terms of retail a complete transformation of our own online presence as well. You'll be seeing a completely different visual language from Rayburn from this season coming through as well. And then we have some really great partnerships. We've just launched one, in fact, with uh, with Timberland. And then I've been sort of really proud. We're, we're also launching a project that I've been working very closely on, Timberland working with Tommy Hilfiger mm. for the first time. So two massive brands. And the creativity was driven through the Rayburn Lab. So we had teams coming from around the world, working here. And again, it brings everything together, the archive, the creativity. Um, so, yeah, that's probably enough to, to keep us busy for now. Seems like it is very <laughs> impressive. And, um, you know, I admire you so much because you really have thought before anybody else was thinking about what fashion was doing for the world and it has not been good news mostly but um, you have made good news by using pieces that um, when some of them never used before mm. and by generally seeing fashion as more a part of clothing that can be recycled and reused and you've just thought about it that's what matters. Thank you yeah and I'm sure there'll be plenty more thinking to do and now What's exciting is there's the innovation, the technology, the materials to, to genuinely do things in a much more positive way that probably weren't there, certainly in, the, in such an accessible way um, when I started the company. We're coming to the end here, and I must thank you so much um, for all that you've done and all that you've told us. And I understand there's some family story that I've missed. Absolutely. Well, just to say thank you so much for taking the time yourself. It's been, a, of course, a real honour and... Um, as always, your curiosity, it's always um, the thing that I find so, so engaging. And yeah, to wrap up with one maybe funny anecdote was um, it was about seven years into the company um, 
bearing in mind by that point we'd used and remade hundreds if not thousands of parachutes into all sorts of jackets, parkas, accessories, etc. that my, my dear mum, Lois, over Christmas dinner said, but uh, of course you remember your, your grandmother, um, the story about your grandmother. And I said, no, no, no. And she was so calm about the thing. I said, well, she, she made her wedding dress uh, from a parachute during, during the Second World War. And my mother had never thought to tell the story and dug out this beautiful, of course, black and white image of, of my grandmother, his name is Vera, and Ralph, my grandfather. And sure enough, there's a picture of them. It's December 21st, 1941. And my grandmother, in the stress, she made herself. And so incredible just to bring everything back to that. And again, the serendipity there is amazing. And I think it kind of came in tandem with maybe my mum thinking that maybe, just maybe I was taking things seriously and maybe the business was a real thing. And so, yeah, that's the story to end on. It's a very moving story um, about your grandmother's spirit Mm. coming down now. And I hope that your spirit will go on to the next generation and the one after it. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Bravo to you, Christopher Rayburn, for your dedication and enthusiasm that has taken you to the dynamic Pity Imagine trade show in Italy or to the old abandoned military uniforms scooped up from Russia and beyond. You have worked with Montclair, with Timberland and so many more. And how great is the fashion message of protection, thoughtfulness and of lasting values. I loved following your enthusiasm across your bold building in East London, where potential shoppers are allowed to see and understand the clothes and then buy them. I felt a sense of family in the cheery workers stitching clothes and remaking uniforms as Christopher Rayburn took me around. I was so fascinated to see how you rework surplus materials, minimise your carbon footprint and reduce waste to create brilliant collections using green technologies. In my review of your autumn-winter 2014 Polaris menswear show, I said this, It is Mr Rayburn's clear vision of clothes that protect man and the planet and that make him an original and exceptional designer. And it is those words which still stand today. Waste not, want not was a family phrase from a century ago. Thanks to Rayburn, it's back for real. Join me next time when I shall be speaking to Tommy Hilfiger, known for his classic American cool spirit. He is to be honoured on the 29th of November at this year's Fashion Awards at London's Royal Albert Hall with an Outstanding Achievement Award. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan, music by Yer Zuba, graphics by Paul Wallace and edited by Tim Thornton. To find my articles, visit susiemenkes.com and susiemenkes on Instagram. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. You can find me on all the usual channels. <laughs>